Heavenly Father, I thank you for being a God that is in control of all time, all space, all creation. I thank you for being a God that is working out your will amongst the nations and amongst your creation and even at times when it seems like it's in chaos or things are getting so bad. May tonight give us hope and encouragement to know that uh, your plan is actually uh, is actually coming to be. And, uh, and for Christians, for believers, we have something to look forward to. That it might get worse before it gets better, but we have the much better to really look forward to. And I pray that tonight uh, we would be able to look and have perspective on what's happening in our world and see it through uh, your lens, the way you look at it and your plan. And you might give us hope and encouragement. Thank you for that. In your name I pray. Amen. So yeah, these topics are not t- typical Wednesday night topics. Last week, if you weren't here, I talked about socialism. It's just a, uh, and someone said, you can't help but be political when you're talking about socialism. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> it is political. Uh, and tonight, but this series I'm going to do, if you weren't here, uh, I'm not going to talk about socialism. You can listen to the recording online, I think, if you, if you desire. But uh, this book, or this this session, these I'm going to break it up into two four-week times, so the next time I'm on a rotation, I'll finish up this study. Uh, but uh, this is based off of uh, Dr. Jeremiah. He did a book called That Very Thing, and I read the book, and I really liked it because I think we need, you know, the coronavirus, pandemics that are happening, things that are happening in the world, it seems to be speeding up, and, and, the, and the technology advances that are happening, the things that happen in the world, and the media coverage of everything. We see every building blown up in Ukraine. I mean, we wouldn't have done that 20, 30 years ago. You wouldn't have had that capability. But now we see everything live, and we're all interconnected. And so some of these issues, I thought, it's great for us to see it from God's perspective. Uh, and, and as I said in my prayer, as Christians, we should, we should be encouraged. Um, even though it might get worse, ultimately it's going to be better in the end because God is in control. But tonight we're going to look at globalism. Uh, it's just a big word, but basically it's worldwide interconnectedness. It is that everything in the world, all the nations, all the finance, all the trade, all the technology, all the governments eventually, according to God's word, are going to try this one government thing again. Uh, I think we're probably just one more catastrophic event away from that happening. Coronavirus, there were already talks of we need to have some central organization that, and, and you know, whether it's a CDC-like entity or it's the uh, uh, whatever, um, there's this move to, and you see it for sure in technology, uh, this move to everything's interconnected, everything is. And uh, if you don't know much about prophecy, or, and, and tonight, by the way, just a, a disclaimer, it's going to be a little bit of a Bible drill. I put all the scriptures, most of them I'm going to reference, are on your page. You're not going to be able to look up all of them unless you're really good at Bible drill. Uh, So I'd encourage you, the ones that underlined, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a chance to go to that, or you can go to the next one. I think they're in order, Uh, and those are the ones that I'll kind of read. The rest of them, it's in my notes, and I'm just going to go through it quick, but you have the reference for it. in a book called uh, The Age of Globaliz- uh, Globalization, Jeffrey Sachs, he explains that the world is moving in stages towards this more globalized society. He says different ages, and he quotes them all, and uh, there was a, a Neolithic age where humans, be, uh, throughout history, they became more adapt to cultivating crops, began trade. There was an equestrian age where people are taming horses, 
and there's carriages, and you can do travel rapidly longer distance with horses. The classical age is 1000 BC to 1500 AD. Uh, It's a long long time, (laughs) 2500 years. The rise of competition of large empires and their their armies. The ocean age, 1500 to 1800. uh, Transoceanic trade and naval warfare is happening. This is where we start. Oh, yeah, I remember this one. Industrial age, 1800s to 2000s. You might have lived through that. I think we did, the end of that. Uh, Accelerated science and technology. And anyone know what, what we're in now? The digital. The digital age, 2000 to now. Globalized economics and politics are more directly and urgently than ever before. This globalization movement is happening, and it's actually really nothing new. It, it happened, and we're going to look at it a few times in human history or uh, where they, they tried it, and it didn't really work out very good. But there's this, this desire, and in, in maybe it's our fallen human nature. We just want, we think we can really organize it, and we get just the right person, not a Republican, not a Democrat necessarily, but just the perfect person, and they can just lead all the world, and it will just be kumbaya all the time and just... Roasting marshmallows. Uh, yeah, history doesn't say that really doesn't work good. But in the future, and it's in Revelation, it says, we're going to try that one more time. <laughs> and this last time we try it, it's going to be the last time we try that, and Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to put it into that. But there's this idea that the world, I mean, the world is huge. I don't know what population we're up to, 7 billion maybe. I don't more than that, 8 billion uh, I don't know, but uh, it, it also seems like the world is, is so large population-wise, but yet it's so small. It seems like you can get anywhere in the world in 24 hours. Did you know that? Just about. Most places. Assuming planes are flying. Uh, so this interconnectedness, it's becoming greater and greater, yet it also makes us feel like we're a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, and uh, according to the scriptures we're going to look at, this is all according to scripture. It's predictions in scripture, and it, and it should encourage us. So what does this mean? Uh, some of us can get frustrated by it. If you watch the news, any news station, any news station, you're going to be on alert all the time. Everything is an urgent alert. Oh, my gosh, what just happened? The same thing that happened 30 minutes ago. That was an urgent alert. Uh, it's not that urgent. It's a marketing ploy, just in case you didn't know. Uh, but, you know, you're on edge, and you just watch everything that's going on. And if you watch it or read it, I'm not assuming everyone watches the news. I think less and less people actually watch the news. Now it's all on our phones, and we get it whatever social media way you want to get it, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever. Something happens in the world, we would all know within five minutes. That's the end. The cell phone is for sure interconnecting us as well. As well. Um, but this is, uh, this is all from a biblical perspective. It's all supposed to happen this way. God is working out his plan. It shouldn't allow us to live as believers in fear and frustration constantly. God doesn't want us to live that way. Almighty God has predetermined the plan for the history of his planet and his inhabitants. God has a plan. This is where I'm just going to start reading some of these verses. Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The psalmist wrote, the whole earth will be filled with his glory. That day is coming. We are not there yet. When Jesus Christ comes back, that's when that day will happen. In a thousand years, a millennium, he will reign as king of the earth. Uh, in Revelation, it says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, according to Revelation eleven fifteen. So let's look a little bit at history. You can learn a lot 
by what we've already tried, what we are trying, and then what one day humankind will try again. The course of history, the first in the past, the first attempt at globalization was done by Nimrod. That's just a beautiful name. Any of y'all name your kids Nimrod? Sounds like a smart guy. But actually, in Genesis 11, if you want to read his story, he's a warlord, and he establishes the mightiest army in that day, and that's the the empire of Babylon. Okay, And uh, we think, oh, Babylon, we immediately jumped to to Daniel. Of course, Babylon was, was there with the Tower of Babel, and they're doing... And what were they doing? They were basically trying to say, we can be God. Humankind has this tendency to do that. I, I really need that attention and that fame and that everything, and I want to be just like God. Well, you know, the Tower of Babel was destroyed, but that was the first global tyrant uh, on the earth. And then uh, his dynasty uh, was later led by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar is the one that conquers Judah and takes them into exile, and you got Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know the story, you bow down to me, heck no, we're not doing it, throw you in the fire. Okay, go ahead, you know the story. Uh, but uh, Daniel before that, or, or in that story, in Daniel's story, he is the one that God places him there, as he does with others, whether it's Joseph or whatever, he places him in a political place to be God's spokesman to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's having his dreams. He's the most powerful man in all the world, and he's having these dreams, and he cannot, he's got his magicians and his scholars, and they can't interpret what these dreams mean. Uh, They can't do it. Daniel says, I'll do it. He says, okay. Uh, In Daniel 2, 27, 28, uh, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, uh, said Daniel without fear, and so Daniel, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. So he has this, this dream, and in this dream, there's this massive statue, and it's this massive statue struck by a rock, and it's quarried by an invisible hand. I don't know if y'all had these dreams recently, but if you did, uh, don't ask me to interpret it. Uh, maybe Daniel could if he was here, but you could ask him in heaven. But uh, in these days, these dreams and these leaders that have these dreams, God uses them oftentimes to say, uh, this is a prophecy. This is what's going to go down. And this dream, uh, if we talk about the end times, and I'm glad Brother Barry's not here because if I say something wrong, he'll have to correct me later. But when you talk about the end times, you get a little uncomfortable because there's a lot about the end times we don't know. You go to Daniel, you go to Zechariah, you go to Revelation, you go to these books, and God gives us, or through, or through John, uh, he gives us just a glimpse of what the future is. It's just a little bit of the timeline of what's to be, but we don't know exactly how it's all going to go down. Well, in this dream, it's the key part to the end times because there's empires, these nations, these, these most powerful nations are going to happen throughout human history. And then it, how it's going to ultimately end, Daniel's going to, to explain to Nebuchadnezzar. So it has this massive statue that gets wiped out uh, by this by this rock, it gets wiped out and destroyed in a bunch of tiny little pieces. And then this rock grows into a, ma- a mountain that is large enough to cover the entire earth. It's a disturbing dream. The interpretation of that is given in Daniel chapter 2, if you want to look there. But uh, this statue and the parts of it, each part of the statue represents a certain uh, world power in that time throughout human history. So you have the head of it, and that's the, the empire of Babylon, the chest of silver, uh, is the next great world empire, and these are in order, the Medo-Persian. Then you got the stomach and the thigh of the statue and made of bronze. That is the, uh, 
the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great. And then you got the legs of iron symbolized the Roman Empire. And then after that, you got the feet and the toes, and they represent this final coming world empire. We're not quite there yet. And then those toes, you're going to see the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to be bashed into pieces whenever this, this last empire that's going to, this united empire that's going to try to, they're going to, of course, go after Jerusalem and God's people. Jesus is going to return again. The rock is going to demolish, demolish human history. And he'll sit on his throne and start his millennial reign. So in the days of Nimrod, God, he broke up this global, globalization empire by confusing languages. The, the Tower of Babel, they also couldn't understand languages anymore, and they couldn't build it anymore. Uh, but after the fall of Rome, there hasn't been a single nation or empire uh, that has dominated the world. For sure, we have powers, and even right now you'd say, for sure, we have powers. China, Russia, Korea, America, United States. Uh, there's powers, in, but there's not one unified one yet. Although there's a time zone, like, we're, we're quickly heading that direction. Uh, but this, uh, this Nimrod type of dictator, this Antichrist, is going to unite all the kingdoms and come after Jerusalem, and that's when Christ is going to come. Uh, this is the first one you're going to look in your Bible. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel 2, chapter. Uh, if you don't have it, that's fine. I'll, I'll read it. Daniel 2, verse 44. True Bible drill. When you first get it, say, I got it. And then you get credit. No, we don't have to do that. And it says in Daniel 2, verse 44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Christ will come back and be that rock that says, that's it. That's it. Nobody can be worthy to sit on his throne except for him. He'll put the Antichrist in his place, and that will be the it. He'll start his reign. So what should we know about the climax of history this final horrific attempt at globalization of unifying all the, all the, all the kingdoms of the world, all the nations of the world, uh, it will lead to a time of unprecedented turmoil, great tribulation, lots of, you can only imagine the difficulty that will come. The book of Revelation completes this story, uh, the story that Daniel starts. In Revelation 13, uh, he talks about this great worldwide distress. Satan raises up this man of lawlessness as the Antichrist, uh, the ultimate Nimrod that everyone thinks is just so great and needs to follow and do everything he says. He's the one that's going to have the mark of the beast, the 666, uh, that is economic, how you get your goods or whatever. If you think, well, that's crazy, I'm like, how far are we from that? I mean, I think they're, they're starting to develop. You can just use your index finger and you can pay. Wait, I mean, we're not that far away from that at all. Um, with technology and advancements. But the beast in Revelation 13.1, the Antichrist shows up. And it, the, this chapter in 13 gives the concluding picture of human globalization. So go to Revelation chapter 13. It is the last book in the Bible, Revelation 13. I don't want you to get lost because of the trees in the forest. We're just kind of kind of fly over the end times, okay? We're not doing a deep survey of every little crevice and everything, so I realize I'm going fast. 
Chapter 13 and verse 3, and I'm just going to highlight, I'm not going to read all 3 through 8, just parts of it. Uh, And I saw one of his heads as it had been uh, mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast, the Antichrist. Verse 5, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Verse 8, all who dwell on earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of, of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This Antichrist will rebuild the ancient city of Babylon for his world capital. Babylon, uh, Middle East, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, that area, somewhere over there, exactly. Uh, he'll be on the verge of unifying all the armies of the world. Uh, in this last great attempt to destroy God's chosen nation of Israel. We should always be watching Israel. What happens to Israel is key to the end times. That is God's chosen people. He has a special relationship with them. and they, they, he, he says a lot about what's going to happen to Israel, and, and he's going to redeem them. They're going to come to know that, sure enough, Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is their Savior. So they're going to attack. All the armies are going to come together, attack Israel, uh, and uh, there will be this globalized economy. Everyone will be chipped with this mysterious 666. And then in verse 18 of the same chapter of 13, uh, it talks about that, that mark. Let's see, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666 the most evil number three times. So that all happens, this attack on Jerusalem. According to Zechariah 12.3, that's when all the nations of the earth will gather against Jerusalem and then Christ will return in that time. How that all happens, how that all goes down, I just hope to be there. Not, not, I don't want to be there necessarily. I hope to be raptured and gone and in heaven. And then I want to come back uh, with Jesus and ride on the horse. He'll ride on the horse. And I don't know what I'm flying or what I'm doing. I'm a superhero at that point. I don't know. Uh, whatever movie version you want, we don't really know, but it's going to be pretty awesome uh, for Christians, for believers. Uh, Christ will return like this rock. He's going to strike the, the edifice of the world history. He's going to send it shattering the wind. Christ will then establish his own global kingdom. When you have perspective and you, and as a believer, often sometimes on the end times, we want to know it all. We want to figure it all out, but it should, as a believer, give us encouragement to know that we're, it just seems like some days we're, these, we're running this rat race. I'm just, whether you're parenting your kids or whether your kids are moved off and they're raising their own families and, and you're in retirement and you're just waiting for the next check or whatever it is. There's just times we can be going day to day and it's just like, what's the point? <laughs> you know, what's the point of all of this? Well, prophecy, biblical prophecy should say, well, it should encourage us. God has his point. God saves you and me for a reason. Not just the end time and his glorification and that one day we'll be with him in heaven, but even right now. And the things that are happening in this world and even the the turmoil, the the disarray, the wrongness of this world, the wrongness of Russia invading Ukraine. I don't want to get political, but the fact whether we should be all in and and start World War III doesn't sound like fun to me. Um, But if God has that to be our plan, then I guess... um, you, know, you trust your leaders to make these great United Nations and all the, the EU and all these different leaders, and they do their trips. I'm like, I hope they're really smart, right? God give them, which is why in Romans 13 it says God actually gives them authority 
We should pray for those that are in governing positions over us. It doesn't matter political party. It doesn't matter if you voted for the person or not. You should pray for them because God put them in that place of power. Not that they do everything right and should we stand against it. Well, biblically, you should only really stand against those in government if they're contradicting the Bible. Not preference. Not preference. Contradicting God's word. That's when you have a right to stand respectfully against what they say. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. Moving on back to this. Um, so the mark of the, of the beast, Christ will come back. Um, Christ will return. He, he, he ends uh, human history the way we know it, and he changes it, and he starts his millennial reign. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you'll go there. Only three more verse passages I'm going to ask you to look up. Y'all are doing great. Hang in there. Get a drink of water if you need to. Uh, second, second Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Jesus Christ will show up his second coming. He'll come in on the, and his fire out of his mouth and all this stuff. He's going to attack the Antichrist, and that's going to be the end of him. <laughs> he had a short, it seemed like he was so powerful, but just in that glimpse, you see the power of God versus the power of man or of evil, of Satan. It doesn't even compare. Satan, and we often think, man, Satan's just having a heyday. And maybe he is in this world. But God, Jesus, will have his final say in due time. So that's coming. Be encouraged by that. And then the culmination of history, the future, once that happens, what happens? The coming kingdom of God is called the millennium when it's based on the teaching of Revelation chapter 20. The earthly reign of Christ will last for 1,000 years on this earth. All the world will see what globalization really should look like. It will be globalization at its finest. Not what it's seen at its worst. Under the Lord Jesus Christ, he will truly reign. Jerusalem will be the capital of the earth, of course. The people from all the nations will regularly come and visit, learn and worship, according to Isaiah. The millennial temple in Jerusalem will be the most beautiful building on earth. And it will be filled with the glory of the Lord, according to Ezekiel 43. The Lord Jesus will be the ultimate international diplomat. He will bring peace to the earth and wars will cease. He will occupy the ancient throne of his forefather, David. In that time, those thousand years, the people of the earth will travel to Jerusalem to worship the king. They'll keep feasts of Israel, do that regularly. The agriculture of earth will be so improved that the grain, the grapes, will grow so fast they can't, they can't keep up. They can't harvest at all. The deserts will become as green as lush mountains. Life expectancy will rival the lifespans of the days before the great floods. So we're living hundreds and hundreds of years at that point. Again, we used to live that way, but they'll do that. Nature will be transformed. Wolves and lambs will just hang out together. Uh, lions and cows will chill. Songs of praise will ascend from the ends of the earth. This will be a prelude to heaven. Prelude to heaven. Isaiah 11.9 says, Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. 
after that thousand-year reign of Christ is over, Earth's history will be over. The old universe will melt away. God's children will be ushered into a new heaven, a new earth, and the celestial city of the new Jerusalem. Did you get all that? I don't get it all, but it sounds good. It sounds good for believers. It sounds good. You know, We should be the people that sing, oh, happy day. We should have that in our heart, the joy of the Lord in our heart. But oftentimes we're the people that just are, you know, moping around, had nothing to look forward to. I'm like, no, it's going to be all right. Uh, It does get bad before it gets better. Where do we go from here? If the future of the planet is a globalized terror, that's the bad. There's going to be terror globalized by this Antichrist. But then it's going to be good, followed by a glorious thousand-year reign of Christ. How then should we live now? Because that hasn't happened yet. Unless I missed something. I don't think that's happened yet. How should we live now? We look to the uh, ascension of Jesus Christ, and I think uh, as he was going into heaven after his resurrection and after crucifixion, resurrection, he's appearing to his disciples. He's, and now he's going into heaven the last time he's leaving them. Okay? And uh, I'm sure that was a very traumatic event for them. Like, what? Where are you going? What? I just saw you again. I'm, you know, don't leave. And uh, what do we do next? They had this idea. So look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. We can look to this uh, transformation and, and this act of Jesus that was phenomenal. He's going to do something just go the opposite direction, but uh, he's going to come down this, the second time. It says in verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, when they all watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends into heaven. Uh, leaving his followers, his disciples, his apostles, giving them this great commission, what they're supposed to do. Don't just sit around on your high knees doing nothing, waiting for Jesus to come back. He's like, you know, go spread the gospel. Tell everyone you can tell. Uh, I think we can see three things that we should do in light of Christ coming again and the globalization that's going to try the human uh, mankind version of it and then even the, the Christ version after that. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, first, we should worship the glorified Christ. Worship Christ. The Apostle John uh, is the one that's sitting here watching Jesus ascend in the clouds. He's later going to describe in, in, in Revelation, he's going to describe uh, this enthroned Christ. He calls him the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white to snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Revelation 1.13. John had a vision later on of what what Jesus looks like on his throne in heaven. 
The same Jesus who walked the dusty roads of Galilee now presides over the affairs of the universe and throughout all history. Um, in uncertain times, and uh, we have a choice. Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers, you have a choice. You can sit around and you can worry about the headlines and you can wait for the next urgent whatever, whatever, whatever it is. And we can live anxious and we can live unsettled and we can live nervous and we can live on edge. Or you can worship God who's over everything. Um, We say that in salvation when I say, you know, I realize I have a sinful nature and uh, even at a young age or whatever point I come to realize I have sin and that's separating me from God and his love. And I need to accept Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for my sin. Whenever that happens in our life, we need to remember he dies every day for that. He needs to be our savior every day. If we're constantly, I mean, he says in Matthew, don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough worries. Today has enough to be worried about. God has it all under control. Why are you worrying about everything? I'm not saying there aren't mental health issues and there aren't things that people should have medicine for. But, man, I think the pandemic, the last two years and bottled up and everyone isolated and all this, uh, it just seems like everybody's on edge. You've been driving in Midland lately or anywhere? It's like everybody cutting you off and you want to, like, I'm going to show you some finger or a finger. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't even text about it or Facebook. No, but there's, there's just this built-up angst, right? Everyone's on edge. If we know Christ and have a relationship with Christ and know, you don't have to know everything about the end times, but I've given you enough even tonight to say, God's got it under control. I think the problem is we want to be under control of our own lives. It's our typical human nature thing we want to do. I want to drive my car. I don't want anyone else to drive my car. I definitely don't want my son or my daughter driving my car. I want to drive my car. Okay? It's a control thing. As a Christian, you realize I don't really have any control. There's so many things that happen in this world, in my life, personally in my life that I can't control, in my family I can't control, in my, in my children, my grandchildren, in my parents, in my grandparents, I can't control any of what they do or not do. Uh, I realize it's all in God's control. I can't control what governments do. I can't control what nations do. I can vote. There are civic duties. By the way, the Constitution class and American heritage, it's good to know that because enough Americans are not voting that, sure enough, uh, if you are the conservative one, you say, oh, the liberals are taking over. And if you're liberal, the conservatives are taking Whatever. It's just the constant back and back and forth. We have civil rights, civil duties we should do as citizens of this nation. But even when I vote my one vote, if my guy or a woman or a person doesn't make the, the whatever I vote for, um, you know, I'm just in disarray. Well, forget it. The next four years are just gone. Or eight years. God will. I mean, it's just gone. I'm like, okay. your, your view of God and how he's orchestrating the world and the nations and the time and everything is just kind of, it's kind of skewed. It's kind of off. God's not surprised. God wasn't surprised by coronavirus. God's not surprised by nations invading other nations. God's not surprised by this. Politicians, the media, they twist it all to get us to focus on whatever they want us to focus on. That it's the most important thing and nothing else matters. Um, I would just say, you know, are you living your life that you're worshiping the one that actually is controlling everything? Because if not, you're kind of wasting your days. Time is short. And whatever days we have as believers, we should be honoring God, worshiping him, because he did the unthinkable for me. 
He died for me, Keith Hamilton, as a sinner. He died for you as a sinner. And he is allowing you to live on this earth for however long that is. Unless he comes, comes back and decide, or decides to take us home, that's all. He controls that too. I don't control that. Until that time comes, I'm supposed to honor him. I'm supposed to worship him. I'm supposed to live my life for him. Um, worship the glorified Christ. It's what we're going to be doing for eternity. But then also we should embrace our global mission. This globalization is, is you know, we say it in a bad way. It's good and bad. The uh, one world government. I'm like, well, what kind of government is that going to be? You know, the dictator kind? The democracy kind? The uh, you bow down or I throw you in a furnace kind? What kind of uh, dictatorship uh, world government is this going to be? Um, it's probably going to be a, a <laughs> one that's against God's people kind of a government. Uh, you know, we're, we live in America and we see that happening in America. But that's, that's nothing new to the rest of the world. <laughs> There's so much anti, if you hear, if you heard Anise talk about, uh, uh, he's our missionary we support in Pakistan. And I just, I just, I can't believe his courage. It makes me feel like a really lazy Christian here in America. <laughs> I complained about, you know, the dust storm. Um, I didn't complain that I might get burned up today. And that's what, he just says it and he says, but praise God, God is in control. I'm like, how do you, how do you say that? I can't even imagine living in that environment, but the rest of the world is there. They're anti, it's so anti-Christian. It's anti, and America's heading that direction um, because Christians are the ones standing in the way of whatever platform, liberal, socialist, whatever movement they want to have that is anti-God and anti-his word. We're the ones that are in their way. But we should embrace a global mission um, we should encourage the missionaries that we can, but also we should have an idea that there's, we live in a time in history where we can, and I appreciate Anise sharing that he wanted to do a YouTube channel and, and all that because he can have like 20,000 followers on technology. I hear YouTube and I, I just kind of cringe at it because I think of all the bad content, that, which there's a lot of bad content, and I'm as a parent of a teenage kid or kids. Uh, I'm like, ugh. But that technology can also really be used for good, just as any technology. Uh, TikTok, Facebook, uh, all those, I don't use them all. Um, but there are ways that, you know, we should be using. Dr. Aller Moeller, he said, he's the president at Southern Seminary. He says, this is a quote, The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ understands global mission as a command and as a mandate from the Lord. While the world may debate globalization in terms of its economic and sociological effects, the church must see globalization as an unprecedented opportunity Globalization may be a surprise to sociologists, politicians, businessmen, but it comes as great promise to followers of the Lord Jesus. The current generation of Christians has unprecedented opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus in all the world and to see people of all tribes, tongues, and nations bow the knee to the king. We live in a globalized world and we have such potential to spread the gospel for Christ. The globalization movement is not all bad. It's a lot of opportunities for Christians to use it. Um, we must keep going to our cities, our states, our nations, and the uttermost parts of the world spreading the gospel, however we can. And then last, we should anticipate our glorious hope. We should always anticipate our glorious hope. Acts 1 talks about that. You know, he, he, he's, he's going into heaven. He's like, I'm going to come back just in the same way. Uh, two guys right next to him, like, he's coming back. 
says in Acts 1.11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. From that moment on, every hero of the New Testament was looking to heaven for when's Jesus coming back. Is it today? Is it today? Is it today? Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4.8, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Peter said, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth, where righteousness dwells. John writes, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Are you looking forward to heaven? Then why are you in such dismay? I have a health ailment. I have a financial problem. I have a relational struggle. Well, praise God. One day that won't be around. One day I won't have to look at that. I want to deal with that. But may I honor you, God, now in the, in the present so that I can honor you even more in the future. We should contemplate and anticipate the imminent return of Jesus. He is coming back. Um, even as humanity continues to push toward this destruction ver- version of globalization. Uh, Paul explained that God has scattered people and set their boundaries in Acts 17. He says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Some of this disarray happens to happen. And maybe God is patient enough not to come back. He doesn't want anyone to not know him. Maybe he's waiting for me to share my hope in Christ with somebody else. And maybe for you. So there's three things we should be doing in light of the globalization of the world that's coming. Uh, just to give us encouragement. Uh, world War One. President Woodrow Wilson was his hands and knees. He's in the Paris, after World War I, he's, he's at the Paris mansion. He's peering through his, his spectacles and, and on a huge map on the floor, and he's trying to figure out how to carve up the new world after World War I. Around him are the other leaders of the world doing the same. They're, they're dreaming of some new world order uh, that would hasten globalized peace. The collapse of Germany just happened, so now Europe can be re- uh, reorganized. The fall of the Ottoman Empire now says the borders of the nations of the Middle East can be redone. Many of the great dynasties have been wiped away, and, and uh, the Romanovs were gone, the, 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 the Habsburgs. America had emerged as the greatest nation in history, and Wilson was determined to reconstruct the entire globe. He dreamed also of a League of Nations uh, that could prevent future wars through collective security. All these leaders are on the floor trying to redo the map and draw, draw boundaries and all that. First Lady Edith Wilson, she walks in and she laughs. She says, you look a lot like little boys playing a game. Uh, the president looked up at her and he said, alas, it is the most serious game ever undertaken, for on the result of it hangs, in my estimation, the future peace of the world. Alas is a good word to describe what they were doing. The League of Nations, sure enough, failed. Woodrow Wilson worked himself into a into a stroke. Edith secretly served as a shadow president for a while. The end of the First World War sowed the seeds for the Second World War, and we are still fighting endless conflicts over the fracturing of the world that occurred in that Paris mansion. Now, as I close tonight, uh, human globalism is not the answer to our world. Although 
they're going to go that direction. They're going to, don't be surprised. That's that's the direction it's been predicted it's going to go, and it will go that way. It will lead only to final one world government of the Antichrist. And uh, I already said, I think we're one more existential crisis away from something like that happening. That's the bad news. But the good news, the Lord still has the whole world in his hand. He has the whole world in his hands. Remember that little song he sang? Uh, it's not you and I have the whole world in our hands. That's not it. It's not, it goes that way. So we must never fear as Christians. Christ will appear just as he ascended. He will establish a global kingdom. He will show us how things should have always been. He will make all things right. In the meantime, worship him every day. Not just Sunday, every day. Spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and look forward to his soon and swift return. Amen. Amen. Those are the words I have to share tonight. So if you don't have kids in Awana, you're praising God right now. If you do have a kid in Awana, I don't know what you're doing right now. But uh, th- those are my words. Next week, uh, we'll continue on. I got two more, uh, two more sessions, and then I'll take a break. But uh, I hope you, uh, you know, it's, it's a good reminder because uh, I don't watch a lot of news because it's really just depressing. <laughs> There's not, you know, someone got murdered, world's, you know, nation's getting invaded, the sky is falling. Look, there's a tornado. Yay. Joy of the Lord in my heart. Yeah. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and be an ostrich. Know the times, know the seasons, know what's happening, but don't we be one as, as if God isn't in control, because he is. God is in control. If your faith is in Christ, our future is set, and we have a purpose, and that is to save everyone we can save, to spread the gospel, share the hope we have, and to worship and glorify him. And then one day when he comes back, whenever he determines, glory to God. Glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and just the encouragement it can give us. And even as we look to the end times and we, we see the world, the things that are happening in our world even right now, uh, may we not forget history, that you're actually the God that worked throughout all of history. And, and in that history is when you uh, birthed your son. Uh, uh, and uh, that he walked here on this earth and he, he lived a life, a sinless life, but yet he died on a brutal cross for our sin. He's resurrected. He came back, visited a few people, and then he resurrected again, transformed into heaven. And then one day he's going to come back again. And uh, you're going to sit on your throne forever. We praise you. We worship you. We acknowledge your greatness. And we're just thankful to be called children of God. May we be encouraged through your word. May we be strengthened. Uh, to persevere in whatever heartaches come our way, whether it's personal afflictions, whether it's national difficulties, worldwide things, pandemics, whatever it is. May we go through it for your glory and bring you glory and honor. We thank you for that. pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, minister each of us uh, in the days we have until you come again. We look forward to that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you all. God bless. I'll see you next week, unless he comes back. Then I won't.